Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. And I'm Jeremy. Yes, we are very fortunate once again to have Jeremy, conductor and podcaster extraordinaire, <laughs> joining us today. Jeremy is a conductor in the Denver area and the host of the Podium Time Podcast, where he gets to interview great conductors. This week, we're the one interviewing great conductor, using Jeremy's <laughs> expertise to learn about modern conductors and the role they play in their orchestras and for their audiences. If you haven't already listened to the previous episode, now is a good time to do so, because we're going to be building off a little of the history and knowledge that we talked about last time. So with our first question of the episode, we'll get to know you a little bit better, Jeremy. Um, so when did you decide to become a conductor, and what made you decide that? Thank you so much for asking, Allison. So as Ace has said, I host the Podium Time podcast, and on there we always try to ask this question because it usually creates some really great stories. Every conductor and every musician, but I think especially conductors because we're a weird bunch, have a really <laughs> fun story. I've found that most conductors either had a light switch moment or they were doing other things, and then one day they realized they were doing more conducting than anything else. Um, for me, it was a light switch moment. Around 2014, I was playing in an orchestra, and our conductor was Erin Freeman. She's, um, she's in the Richmond, Virginia area, and we've interviewed her on my podcast. She had so much energy, and she really pushed us, and this was the first time that I'd ever been part of a really good orchestra. So I finally got to see for the first time what a conductor actually does. And there was this one specific part where our pizzicato was too loud, and that's when the, the string players pluck the strings with their fingers. I, I play the violin. And so we tried to be softer, but it wasn't enough. And so then she told us to just touch the string and just pull our finger off without actually plucking it. And the sound was so gentle and so perfect. We were playing Romeo and Juliet, and it was um, it was Child Juliet, that first movement. And it was it was just so gentle. And it it was this moment where I just couldn't believe that I'd never understood what music was before in my life. It was a turning point for me as a musician as, as well as a conductor. Um, but that whole, it was that, that whole week inspired me. Um, but that moment in particular was what really flipped the switch. And I ran out, I was at um, the Missouri Music Educators Conference and I ran out and I, I grabbed all the conducting books I could from all the vendors and I, I started digging in. So that is my conductor story. So perhaps we've answered this question and touched on this a little bit before, but in your opinion, I know this is very overarching and generalizing, <laughs> but what is the purpose of a modern conductor? Wouldn't it seem that modern orchestras are highly trained enough that they could almost revert back to having the concert master lead rehearsals and then just play without a conductor, much like jazz ensembles and big bands do? Yeah, and we may have touched on that a little bit in the first episode, but there's always more to add. 
Um, we talked about the history of orchestras and how as they got bigger and the music got more complex, conductors were more and more necessary. Um, so with really difficult music, orchestras, you know, still need the conductor just for some of the basic getting through the music. You know, here's where we are, here's where we're going. Um, but especially with professional orchestras, a lot of the rep that you know, a lot of the Beethoven and the Mozart and even the Tchaikovsky symphonies, you really, the orchestra can get from the beginning to the end without a conductor. That's not really why they're there for a professional orchestra. For a professional orchestra, they're really there to to lead in a more general sense. They've looked at the music, they've studied the music, they've made decisions about the music. And so when they bring that to a professional orchestra, they don't really need to rehearse the orchestra. They just need to kind of show the orchestra and work with them to create this once, this single performance that's never happened before and won't happen again. Just like a soloist will practice their piece and learn it and get it perfect and then make all these interpretive decisions of where they want to slow down and when they want to make something a little softer. The conductor does that with all the music. And so even if an orchestra doesn't need a conductor to get from the beginning to the end, an orchestra is made up of 40, 50, 60, 80, 120 different musicians with different ideas. So the conductor really acts mm. in our modern orchestras as a leader and as a singular voice of interpretation rather than a metronome exactly well sometimes they're <laughs> metronomes but that's a different point <laughs> <laughs> so we here at the coffeehouse classical music podcast have brainstormed a list of conductors that someone in the general public might know off the top of their head such as leonard bernstein gustavo dudamel herbert von karian marin alsop sir neville mariner claudio abado Seiji Azawa. And Michael Tilson Thomas. It's likely that you or somebody you know has a CD with one of these names on the cover somewhere in your music collection. So, Jeremy, is there anything about this particular group that we've brainstormed that could explain why they are famous outside of just the niche musician world? Absolutely, and you're right. Every one of those conductors, especially Bernstein, is you know somebody that the average person walking around has probably at least heard of. But before we talk about what makes these conductors great, let's talk about what makes any conductor great. I said earlier that the conductor really acts as the leader, as the focal point of interpretation. Well, when you think about conducting, most people think about the baton and the waving of the hands. But actually, that's only 1% of what a conductor does, because 99% of what a conductor does is everything before that. The conductor sits down for months and months and months and learns the music by themselves, quietly making decisions about everything. And then they get in front of the orchestra and they have rehearsal. And that's where about the other 50% of it comes from. That's really where the, that's, the rehearsal is really where the conductor earns their paycheck. It's not in the performance, it's in the rehearsals. For a professional orchestra, you'll usually have about one week of rehearsals, which is about 10 hours of rehearsal for a two-hour concert. And that's when the conductor is going through all the music, fixing things in the orchestra, um, shaping things, getting everything just right and ready for the performance. Similarly, with a university orchestra, you've probably got about two months of rehearsal for a two-hour concert. And so it's, it's, there's a wide range of things the conductor's doing, but surprisingly, most of it happens in rehearsal. 
So to interject just a little bit there, Jeremy, would you consider perhaps that conductor might be a uh, somewhat reductionist term uh, <laughs> for what they do? Conductor just in, in, uh, intimating that they only conduct rather than more directing the whole orchestra? That's a very good observation, Asa. And I was actually just reading the introduction to a book I just purchased by a conductor I'll mention later, who's talking about the word for conductor in all the other languages. Um, in French, it is chief of the orchestra. In, in German, it's, it's dirigent, it is the director. Um, so I think, yeah, conductor can be reductionist, but I think it depends a lot of, of your idea. I mean, the most reductionist way to think of a conductor would be calling them a metronome. Um, <laughs> like I did earlier. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, it can, it's hard to it's hard to pick up, it's hard to figure out one word for a conductor. Um, yeah. If you if you think of conducting as only conducting, again, it's kind of what it's kind of how you define the word for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, a a leader, an inspirer. There are a lot of different words, and we can get we can get all philosophical and woohoo about for sure. it. But uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll touch more on that too later in the episode. But yeah, yeah, and that's that's part of what makes a, a great conductor great is that it's that they're they're conducting their physical conducting is not really what matters so much it's their persona and it's the way they rehearse the music and it's their vision of the music that they bring most of the great conductors of the past if you you know if you showed one of their videos to a search committee they wouldn't get asked back for a job because they don't look you know they're not technically very good <laughs> um, the the most extreme example would be Wilhelm Furtwängler, uh, who was the director of Berlin. Uh, I believe yes, he was the director of Berlin during World War II be before um, Herbert von Karajan. And um, I mean, if 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 you think you know what a conductor's supposed to look like, and you go look at a video of Furtwängler, and there are a couple, you'll that's when he actually looks like he's just waving his hands. But his personality and the way he led the musicians and the vision he had for the music was was what made him great. It wasn't it wasn't his stick technique, as we say. It wasn't his conducting technique. So so that's a very good question. It is conductors are are so much more than just the actual conducting, but it's hard to describe that in a single word. So so we've stuck with conductor. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> And actually, we recently interviewed Tito Munoz. He's the music director of the Phoenix Symphony, and he had a great way to describe the aspects of a conductor that are important and the order in which they are important. Um, so the most important skills for a conductor are, first, is leadership, communicating with people, leading people, being like, you know, being a whole person. Um, right. The second one is musicianship, is just being a fantastic musician in every sense having a good ear, having a good sense of tempo, and a good sense of what the music should do. And only third is technique, and that's how you actually conduct and actually move your hands. It's important, and it helps, but it's not as important as, as maybe some schools think it is or most people. So if you see a conductor and you don't like how they look when they're conducting, close your eyes and just listen for a little bit, because they're... Hmm probably doing more things in or go to a rehearsal if you can that's a fantastic opportunity to to see the music coming together and see what a conductor actually does i always wish my parents could come to my rehearsals more often 
because they, you know, they see the concerts, and I'm like, no, but all the work happened yeah. last week. You didn't get to see me actually doing the hard stuff. This is easy. Now it just happens by itself. So let's circle back to the list we, we provided earlier. What do you think makes those conductors so special? So based on my personal, more limited knowledge of each of these people, I would like to propose three reasons why I think these particular conductors may have achieved a level of fame. And that is because of, one, their sheer output of recorded works. And so people are just more likely to own an album with their name on it. Um, second, they might have done something that defies the norm. For example, Marin Alsop is a woman in a very male-dominated profession, and so therefore mainstream media might have picked up this story in particular. And then finally, maybe a dedication to Pops concerts. So conductors perhaps like Bernstein, who are more willing to promote Pops within classical music, are more likely to draw a bigger crowd and therefore become more well-known. So what's your take on that, Jerry? Yeah, Allison, I think these factors definitely contribute to how famous a conductor is, especially the amount they've recorded. I mean, just, you know, you can go to a concert, but that concert only lasts that much. But when you go ahead of recording, that concert can last forever as many times as you like. So I think recording is probably one of the biggest reasons. But then also just how that person is a public figure. And I think the best example of that is is to compare Bernstein and carry on and how they were you know how you know them you know Bernstein is probably the most famous conductor in America for sure he was an incredibly important he was the first American conductor to conduct a major American symphony orchestra when it was mostly Europeans um, and then he he conducted the Vienna Phil for a very long time he kind of helped revitalize Mahler Bernstein was also a speaker and an educator he was very much Don't not forget just... a composer as well. And a composer, yes, of course. You see, there's so many things I forget. Uh, yeah, so Bernstein was just about everything. And I think that's why people, why, why he's so famous. But, you know, if he was only a composer, he would still be really famous. If he was only a music educator, if he only did those Harvard lectures and the Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra, he would still be at the top of that field. And if Bernstein were only a conductor and didn't do any of those other things, he would still be at the top of the conducting field. So Bernstein, I think, is the best example of what makes a conductor famous just because he's everywhere doing everything and he's so influential in everything that he did. So what about Karajan then? Because I... I... I don't recall him being a prolific composer, but I certainly, if I <laughs> look over at my own music collection, I can pick out four discs with his name on them. <laughs> and he comes up all the time in his recordings on Spotify. Absolutely. Yeah. Carry on, again, is the other probably most famous conductor from history, but in a very different way. Um, whereas Bernstein was 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 very much about himself. You know, he was he was creating things. He was being expressive. He was writing music. He was talking about things. Carrion was like a figure. Um, and, and the reason you have so many recordings by him is because the, the record labels kind of grabbed onto this. He was what they call a Wunderkind, like a, a young virtuoso in German. And so they, they latched onto him. He was very young, incredible conductor and they just they just use this public image and just threw him on every CD. And they're all <laughs> fantastic. I don't mean to reduce that at all. But, you know, Carrion recorded probably basically everything. And he recorded the Beethoven symphonies. 
not literally a thousand times, but what feels like a thousand times. And the persona that he had in the, in the media was, you know, I don't know. I don't, he, I, I've never seen him win anything speaking English, so maybe maybe this is our American bias. Um, but I I don't think he spoke publicly very much. He was the thing he's really famous for, though, and you can find this in a in a YouTube video. And it's very hard to find one where he's not doing this. But Carrion never opened his eyes. He would just have his eyes closed while he was conducting, and just just go look up a record a video on YouTube, and you can't. You can't hear it in the recordings, of course, because <laughs> you can't see him. Um, but watch it. And this, just this image of the deep internal conductor, the artist shaping <laughs> the music was so attractive to the to the record companies and just to people. And so Carry On has all of these things you mentioned above, except the Pops concerts. I, I don't know. I don't know him very well, but I don't think he would. He's the kind of person I think wouldn't be caught dead. The deep of artist. Concert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The deep no artist. No sleigh ride for him. <laughs> and and again, Bernstein was the exact opposite. And I just I did want to um, also also talk on one point in in your list. Everyone in there has kind of done their own special thing. We've talked about Bernstein and Carrion. Sir Neville Mariner was really famous for his early music. Gustavo Dudamel um, was a big part of El Sistema. He was also a Wunderkind. He was also a very young virtuoso. Um, but Marin Alsop is is growing and growing and growing, and she's getting more and more famous and big. Um, and I want to emphasize that it's not just because she's a woman, but she is an actually incredible conductor. She stands out because she's one of the only female conductors in the field, especially at the professional level. So we, we notice that she's a woman, um, but she is an incredible, incredible musician. Um, and I, I kind of think of it like Beethoven. Um, so I, I finally realized in school that Beethoven's not famous because he was deaf. Beethoven's famous because his music is so incredible that we still spend an entire semester studying it in music history. He just happened to be deaf. But that's what people will know about him because it's really easy to see that. It's harder to dig into his music and see all the other stuff he was doing with it. It's the unique factor. Exactly. And it was like like I was saying with Bernstein. If Bernstein had only conducted, he would be still an incredibly famous person. You know, Marin's gender has nothing to do with how incredible of a conductor she is or how much of an advocate she is for young composers and students um so i just i just wanted to emphasize that <laughs> that Marin Alsop is not is not famous because she's a woman she just happens to be a woman um i'm so excited to to get to to get to meet her in a couple of weeks and observe some of her rehearsals oh, she's oh amazing she's <laughs> one of one of my favorites and uh, are you going to get to interview her you know, we're really trying. <laughs> when you when you get to the big names like Marin, it's hard. You know, their time is very yeah. valuable. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard to find a couple minutes. Yeah, some I've never met her. Some conductors are very, very open to um, to to being interviewed, and some some are a little more hesitant. So, Jeremy, based on your own knowledge and experience, who are some conductors that are famous to you in particular? Or they're just famous within conducting circles. So if I had to pick one conductor that should definitely be more famous, and again, maybe maybe this person's more famous in Europe, that is Carlos Kleiber. Um, he recorded very little. There's there's 
a playlist of his recordings on Spotify and it's only like a couple hours long. He just he just didn't record. But there are some incredible videos on, on YouTube. Um, if you look up his name, it's Carlos Kleiber, K-L-E-I-B-E-R. And he was just so graceful and inspiring. And he was always trying to show the line between the notes that connects the notes and show the music as a whole rather than just the sum of its parts. And I talk to a lot of conductors. Like we've we've done over 60 episodes of Podium Time. Every time I go to a workshop, I meet yeah, I met 30, 40 conductors just this summer. And so I wow. talk with a lot of conductors. And the more I talk <laughs> with every single conductor, the more I'm convinced that Carlos Kleiber is the conductor's conductor. Like it's gotten to the point where they don't even say, oh, maybe your favorite is Carlos Kleiber. Just like every conductor's favorite conductor <laughs> is Carlos Kleiber. And if you just go watch some of his videos, he did uh, Brahms Symphony Number no. 2 is on there, Beethoven Symphony 7. There's not that much. But it's incredible, and it's really hard to it's really hard to describe why. So you just kind of have to go watch it. But he he's so expressive, but also like I don't I don't even I don't even have the words. But that's that's what music is for, right? To express the things we can't express in words. So yeah. And we can link a YouTube video down in our episode notes for Absolutely. our listeners to go watch. Perfect. He was also just a great a great person. I said earlier that conductors lead the orchestra. Um, you know, you kind of allow the orchestra to do what they're going to do to be musicians. And Kleiber really did that. When you can see it, when you watch him, he's never telling them what to do. He's letting them do and just kind of leading them. And the, I think of it like a boat going down a river and he's just like, you know, just nudging just a little bit. <laughs> and so, yeah, <laughs> Absolutely, Carlos Kleiber is, is the conductor that's most people don't know, but definitely, definitely should. So what about then some great conducting teachers? Like, how do these people learn? Yeah, so conducting education's weird. Um, like, really, like, <laughs> you know, it's not like learning the clarinet, as both of you may know. You don't, you know, you don't pick a piece and then practice it and do your scales and etudes because conductors really need to work with an orchestra or work with musicians to mm -hmm. um, to know what's going on. And and there's no, like, scale book for conducting. There's no progression of... No well-tempered um, baton. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully your baton is well-tempered, but no, there's no book of the well-tempered <laughs> baton. So, yeah, so some of the big conducting teachers um, are are people you haven't heard of. Um, there's, there's kind of this artificial split between educators and professional performers, um, some of the great professional performers are, are fantastic teachers. Like Marin Alsop teaches at, she teaches the conducting program at Peabody at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Um, and you know, she's got some incredible students coming through there. Um, but some of the great conducting teachers that you probably haven't heard about, um, the oldest conducting textbook is probably by Max Rudolph, um, and Nikolai Malko. Those are the two oldest. Like, I don't even know if you can find videos of them. They were, they were very old, and they were really only known for these conducting textbooks they made. More, more recent ones would be Gustav Meyer, um, who just passed a couple years ago, and he taught, it, he taught it Peabody as well. And then, actually, Peabody's got a good track record. The person who taught before Gustav Meyer, Frederick Prauschnitz, also has an incredible book that's very difficult to find, um, but it's my, it's my favorite conducting book. Um, 
other conductors. And these are people that our podcast guests mention a lot. Um, are, are, are Larry Ratcliffe, who, who teaches at Rice right now. Robert Spano is the director of the Conducting Academy at Aspen. And again, just talking to Joshua Weilerstein a couple weeks ago, I got to hear about how Robert Spano taught. And it's just incredible to hear how somebody conveys the all the weird stuff that conductors have to do because everything's so so internal instead of external you can you know you can teach somebody how to physically conduct but you can also teach a four-year-old how to physically conduct it's so much more than that um, <laughs> i remember my conducting 101 class in undergrad and it, I wasn't good. It was, it was yeah. really bad. <laughs> oh, I wasn't either. No one, no one was good the first time. And that's still when you're learning how to be a metronome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so is there anybody else, any of these conductor directors uh, that we haven't talked about yet who are contemporary that should be on our radar to watch for? Anybody's recordings in particular? Yeah, just just a quick quick couple hits. Um Pavo Yarvis, one of my favorite conductors. Um, I love his interpretations because he makes the music so exciting, but just not by like adding stuff, just by doing it so, so well. Um, his, he's got a Beethoven cycle that's on YouTube, and it is it is just incredible. I found it a couple years ago, and it's, it's my go-to. Um, a very, the opposite is David Zinman's Beethoven cycle. He adds a lot of things, like he, he kind of changes things, and he does it almost like in a historically informed way, like kind of how Beethoven would hear it, but also not in some ways. He just does some weird things, and it's fascinating in its own way. So Pavo follows exactly what Beethoven does and does it very, very well, and then David Zinman like, follows exactly what Beethoven says in a totally different way and follows it very, very well. So those are two opposites. Um, I also just want to give a shout out to Esopekka Salonen. He's one of the, another huge conductor, but also a fantastic composer. And actually, he was in an Apple commercial a couple years ago. <laughs> wow. I think it was like an iPad commercial. But if you if you look up Salonen Apple commercial, you'll you'll see it's a, it's a great commercial. He like kind of he whistles a couple notes and then it it follows him through his writing of the concerto up to the first rehearsal. I feel like so I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. was him. He's he's a you know, big, big conductor, big composer. And actually one of my favorite recordings that's ever been taken ever of a piece is him and Joyce DiDonato. It's with just one movement of this piece by Berlioz, the song cycle, and it's on YouTube. Um, just the one movement, not the whole piece, but that's all I needed. It's just, it's incredible. Um, it's called, the, the whole piece is, is Berlioz's Nights of Summer. And I think it's the second movement. I think it's the rose, but it's just, it's just divine. Excellent. And we should have that linked on the, in the description as well. And then the last one I want to I want to point out, um, I don't think he really needs me to give him a shout out, um, but Yannick Nézet-Séguin is very young, but he's really making huge waves in the classical music world. He's the new director of the Met Opera, which is kind of the top like conducting job in the world. Like there's like the Berlin Philharmonic and then like the Met Opera, or like the, that's that's the top. You can't. <laughs> you don't you don't move on from either of those positions. Um, and so he's the new music director of the Met. And by very young, I mean young for a big name conductor, which means he's 44, <laughs> which is like really, really, really young for a conductor in that position. And he's he's just incredible. I got to wow. see a talk with him. Um, and he's he's um, he's French Canadian. 
Um, but again, he's all over the world now and he still conducts in Montreal and New York and just everywhere. He's very active on Twitter. You Amazing. should just follow him because he's, 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 he's also got a concert like every single week. <laughs> so that was a great overview of people we should be watching in the conductor <laughs> world. Um, let's kind of turn the dial a little bit and ask some kind of different questions here. What is a conductor's relationship with a professional orchestra? So as Asa and I have an understanding of what a conductor is like in an educational setting as a teacher that guides students through a performance over, as we mentioned, many months. Um, but what is the difference with a professional orchestra or is it actually essentially the same? It, 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 in some ways, it's very similar. In some ways, uh, an academic conductor will be aiming to, you know, be, be just as much of, you know, produce just as much a professional performance. Um, but the academic conductor has, has longer to work with the students. They're students. They cycle in every four years. Um, whereas a professional conductor will usually have the same players for every concert. And um, at a certain level, once you get to a full-time orchestra, they have a concert every week, you know, or three concerts every week. Or here in, in, in Denver a couple weeks ago, we had four different concerts on four different days with the orchestra here. So it really just depends. Um, for so, And that's, that's musically. Again, it, whether they're being a teacher, conductors are always being teachers. It just depends on what level they're, on what level they're teaching. Um, for, for the organization, though, it's a little different, um, whereas a university or a high school conductor will, you know, teach classes, teach students, do some of that stuff. A professional conductor is usually one of two or maybe a hybrid. It's either, you know, somebody who who conducts every single concert and is very involved in that. Um, so a music director is usually somebody who conducts almost every concert and, like, helps with fundraising and helps decide what music we're doing and is kind of the face of of the organization at a university there's you know there's the university is the face but for an orchestra the conductor is very much the um you know the 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 president of the orchestra maybe you know when you think of when you think of a country they're kind of represented by their one person and an orchestra is very often the same and then some sometimes conductors work as guest conductors instead and they they're in a new place every week and then it's more like a fun uncle then you can you don't have to do any of the <laughs> you don't have to do any of the any of the dirty fundraising work the the f word for conductors <laughs> so then what role do you think conductors serve in society outside of the orchestras in, in other words uh, the goal of many classical musicians and us here on the coffee house is to make classical music more appreciated and more mainstream. Um, so do conductors help with that goal, do you think? Or is that even their goal? You're really asking the hard questions here, <laughs> aren't you? Um, the conductor's role in society, really, it, again, it really depends on the conductor and the community. Conductors are very often, again, a, a public figure, a part of their community. And it depends. Some conductors will... will go between jobs real quick and, and just be in it to make great music and to share great music, you know, maybe promote some living composers. Um, some conductors are more community focused. They'll, they'll plop down in a community and stay there for 15 years and really grow the organization. Um, these are kind of two different streams that I've noticed in, in our interviews and my research. Um, 
So a conductor can, you know, can can either see themselves as furthering classical music, like you said. You know, Bernstein was very much that. His mission was to make everyone understand it, to help everyone understand classical music. Um, and then some pops conductors are just, you know, they see themselves as entertainers. They want to they kind of be the star of the show. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, that's what they do. They entertain and they, they um, you know, they conduct uh, concerts with bands and all that stuff. And then some feel that their mission is just to perform great music or, or build up their communities. So the conductor's role in society is as a leader, but in, in just about any way that you can imagine, depending on what they want to do and, and what the community and what their, you know, their audiences want from them. Jeremy, we thank you so much for bringing your insight and your thoughtfulness to this discussion for both this episode and our previous episode two weeks ago. Um, you have been a great resource for us and hopefully offered our audience a really valuable insight into the role of the conductor. Well, thank you so much for having me. Again, I really have been a longtime listener. I think we figured out I've been listening <laughs> since almost the beginning of Coffee House. Yeah, um, we appreciate it. We do. And once again, Jeremy, if you could tell our audience where they can find you and listen to your podcast, Podium Time. Yeah, so uh, we are the Podium Time Podcast. On all the social medias, we are at Podium Time Pod. And at um, our website is podiumtimepod.wordpress.com. You can find me at quabusconducts.com or on Facebook at Jeremy Jeremy Quavis conductor something like that I don't remember what it is exactly <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah our, we release an episode every two weeks they are interviews with conductors about just about everything we, again we I think just we just released our 66 episodes so we've got lots of stuff to dig into if you're interested in learning more about conducting and what makes conductors tick and the things that conductors talk about that audience that they don't talk about with audiences or musicians because um we've got our own crazy problems that we have to deal <laughs> with um but yeah podium time is available in anywhere your podcasts can be found excellent jeremy thank you so much for being with us we once again we really appreciate it and thank you both for making coffee house i, I really love the podcast i've been following for years and i just use my lunch break to listen to your metronome episode which was which is great i loved the background music in it oh thanks fantastic <laughs> and if you the listener also love the coffeehouse classical music podcast uh please don't hesitate to drop us a review on itunes or google play and if you're listening on spotify hit that follow button it helps you find all of our upcoming episodes for the coffeehouse classical music podcast i'm asa i'm allison and i'm jeremy thank you so much for listening Mendelssohn's Symphony No. 5 was performed by the DuPage Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. Mahler's Symphony No. 2 was performed by the DuPage Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find The Coffee House on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Music